Hello everyone, welcome to 2023 and welcome to the latest episode of Things We Find Interesting. Uh, we're back after the Christmas and New Year break. We've got a whole load of interesting topics coming up over the next few weeks. We're bringing back on some of the old guests, um, talking a few, a little bit more with some of our doctor friends. I know that's some of our most popular episodes so far. Um, we've got some more topics on Ukraine, doing a little bit more of a deeper analysis into what's going on over there at the moment, or some of our, our thoughts and opinions. But today we've got for you something really different. Uh, we've got another one of our guests kind of interview style podcast episodes today, and we're going to be talking about magic. It's not Harry Potter, I'm afraid. No, he doesn't actually exist. We're joined today by Richard Jones. Rich, um, you've probably seen him on the TV. I've, I've certainly seen him on all sorts of things. Um, is probably best known for winning Britain's Got Talent um, back in 2016. Um, done all sorts of other things on, on, on the telly. He's done some shows with ITV, done some other work with, uh, I think they're doing a, are they doing a, a specialist Britain's Got Talent for magicians at the moment? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we just filmed that. That, that went out on uh, Christmas Eve, I believe it was. No, just be, uh, the week before Christmas that aired. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so something recent in your memories, hopefully, that you've seen Rich from. Um, you know, my brief connection is to Rich. I worked a little bit with Rich's brother, who you might have seen when he did the role of Variety, brought him on stage as part of the act. And he's kindly introduced me and uh, Rich has agreed to come on the pod today. And we're going to chat about magic. We're going to try and chat about some quite interesting topics about it. We're going to relate it back to some of the psychology that in underpins a lot of tricks and a lot of what goes on behind the scenes in the kind of trade and in the industry. And hopefully you're someone like me who's had nothing to do with the world of, of, of magic and, uh, and magicians before, but you're going to learn some really interesting insights about that world that are, you know, not only fascinating, but may, may be applicable to, to, to your, your own um, place of work as well. So Rich, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so what, you know, where, where did it, where, you, I know you always get asked that question probably, oh, where, where did this all start? Have you got like a really good little story of, uh, you know, where, where people, interviewers always ask you, oh, what was the first trick you saw? What lit that initial spark in terms of getting you into magic? Yeah, so I never necessarily intended to be a magician. I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I've been in the army for the last 12 years. So I joined the army in 2010 and I always loved magic when I was younger, but I didn't realize you could become a magician. Um, I just assumed you were born a magician. I, I never even give it, gave it any time. But then when I first joined the army, it was the first time that I'd experienced being away from home for such a long time. And, uh, I decided while I was traveling around that maybe uh, maybe it would be cool to learn a new skill just while I'm traveling around because those of you who are in the forces will know that you spend a lot of, lot of your career either on a coach or a plane or sat sat around waiting for something exciting to happen. So uh, I started just taking up lots of little things and, and I decided to try out a little card trick. So I learned a little card trick from YouTube and uh, tried it out on some of the guys. I was, I was in Cyprus at the time, the United Nations, working with some of those guys and no one really knew me there. So I, uh, I tried this trick out on a few people and it went really well. And they didn't realize that I only knew that one trick, but it went so well that it blew their mind so much, which I wasn't expecting. That that was when I saw the power of magic because I saw in their eyes just how I just lit up lit up their day just for a split second, um, and in that moment as they screamed that David Blaine was on the island, this is insane, and we're going crazy throwing chairs around, which was very exciting for me to witness. Um, so from that point on, I realised, wow, this is something 
truly truly powerful um the effect it had on those people so from then on word on the uh, on cyprus uh, kind of around the camp spread quite quickly that there was a magician in the army uh, uh, on the island and uh, certainly wasn't a magician but uh every day people are asking the, me to see tricks so yeah what's actually true does it really it's all about well exactly but the, <laughs> the beauty of it is my at the start of my entire career i was just doing a one ahead um the principle of every day i would learn another a new piece of magic or a new card trick to try out the next day on people and then i would do learn another one that day to try out on other people and because i always had lots of different people that were coming and going it's a beauty of the army there's so many people involved in in your career you're always bumping into different people and then i got to try out the different pieces of magic lots of times every day so it allowed me to grow and and adapt what i was doing very quickly to the responses that i was getting from from people because i always tell people the beauty the beauty of um of performing for the military is if if you're terrible you, your friends are likely to tell you they'll, they'll be quite honest and whereas quite often the uh the typical x factor i call it the the old typical um scene where you would see someone would go on and sing in a way that isn't particularly uplifting and uh when when simon cow used to tell them they were terrible they would say well my nan always told me i sung like an angel that kind of which is kind of nice to hear Especially but at the same the day, time it's not particularly in, helpful idle days <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's right. not as harsh these and, days. He's calmed down in his, in his old age. Yeah, he's much nicer now. But the um, but uh, the the beauty of uh, of the way uh, how honest the people I was performing for uh, was was key to my progress. If if people ever noticed that I was doing something sneaky at a point, they would highlight it, and that's that allowed me to kind of understand what people's focus and attention would be on at different points in the trick and how I could change the language and, and the description of what I was doing to kind of misdirect people and help me kind of guide their attention elsewhere. Because what a lot of people understand and know about magic is they, they say, Oh, you need a lot of misdirection and, and, and sleight of hand, but actually you're not trying to misdirect someone's concentration. You're trying to direct them just where you want their focus to be so that you could, you could make an elephant appear behind you and they wouldn't notice if you can narrow their attention down so specifically onto one area of what you're doing. And I always found that fascinating. I found the, uh, the, the, the whole way of uh, I'm manipulating is a horrible word, but it, it, in that kind of sense, uh, distracting and, uh, the deception of of being able to control people's attention, I, I just found fascinating. So I started doing bigger and better things, and and I always put myself under pressure. I always always had something bigger to work on. And after about two months, I was uh, I was stood up in front of mess nights doing doing shows for rooms of officers, uh, which was terrifying. But um, I, I was a bit of a yes person. So every time I got asked to do something, I would always say yes, even if I didn't know how I was going to do it. I had no idea how I would present a magic trick to a whole room of 100 guests in this this after-dinner environment. But I'm pleased I said yes, because I went and did it, and I did it terribly, but at least it got me to that point where I could then learn and then try out again at, at the next mess night, and gradually I got better over over time. But That's I always... One, isn't it, about... Yeah, because I know you were, you know, you talked about here about, yeah, not just the... We, we, want to talk about psychology not just the psychology of you know how do the tricks work how do we get people to fooled essentially but actually your your psychology of the work ethic of succeeding is something that i can imagine is quite a competitive kind of creative industry um with probably a small number of winners and, and quite a lot of people who, who struggle is uh yeah that thing i love that about um just saying yes to things which sounds like something out of a kind of you know overly macho american movie but actually it's a really useful way of forcing yourself into 
uh pushing your comfort zones isn't it if you if you put something in the diary and and you know especially there's that social pressure of oh god people you know i'll have to do this in front of people i I, I, you're not going to make it bad are you because you you fundamentally don't want to look none of us want to look foolish in front of people but we can probably kid ourselves so i love that as like a a method to motivate yourself of like i'll just i'll just keep saying yes to stuff and then I'm, i'm like forcing myself to to kind of get better Absolutely. So I, I would say, um, so, so the first, uh, for example, the first after dinner mess night performance that I agreed to, I think I had about two weeks notice and I'd never done that before, uh, that, like stand on stage and in, in, in front of a whole room. Um, but I would say that that two weeks I grew probably the fastest that I'd ever grown up until that point, because yeah, like you said, once you agree to something, there's no going back. You're forced to, if whether that means you're, you're up till uh, two o'clock in the morning every night trying to make whatever you got planned work. Your growth in between that time of you agreeing to do something and doing it is is going to be far faster than the the opposite. And the opposite is uh, a killer of productivity, and that is perfectionism. Like mm. I know naturally, if I don't set deadlines and targets and agree to things uh, to perform, I'll end up never doing them because I know that. In my mind, I I feel like I could do it better if I spend a bit more time, and I end up you end up procrastinating and and working too hard on lots of different things, and you end up never really um, putting it all together. Because the the problem with anything in life is you could probably if you spent long to- a longer time on anything, you could probably do whatever it is you're doing better. But if you never take the time to do whatever it is your your target is, and and be willing to do it badly or not quite as good as perfect you can bounce off of that you can get better and grow and do more and and it's interesting like i i was talking to a youtube uh, a, a professional youtuber recently who uh, is i don't know four or five million uh followers on on youtube and he gives advice to people starting youtube channels and it's something i've i've had in my mind i'd like to do for a while but uh, i haven't particularly got around to doing it yet partly because i i worry that I, if i put something out and it's not good enough people will judge me but actually it's the wrong mindset it was something he said is it's far better to put out a video every week and they might not necessarily be great but you'll be getting better and you'll be learning from your mistakes as you go it's far better to do that you'll be further along in a year's time than if you spend a year trying to make one perfect video because no matter when you try to release that perfect video you don't learn how to grow from that until people have reacted to it so it's far better to it, like in his eyes, which I, I kind of agree with, it's far better to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and be willing to fail occasionally uh, than it is to try and only ever take steps when you're ready for them. Yeah, and I'm really interested in that kind of like concept of like, yeah, how do you force yourself to, how do you drive to be better? Because you're right, for me, I think you, you talked about it earlier, but like the key enemy of all of this is, is procrastination, isn't it? We, we make up that... that you hear those phrases of people saying, oh, you find the time in the day. It's all about kind of how you manage your time. And I think it's really about kind of cutting out those bits of procrastination that can just waste so much of your of your day, especially, you know, as we all know in the modern era with the ability to kind of like doom scroll through your phone. Have you found, was that something, because I'm really interested in the fact that you you've, you sort of stayed in the army whilst being sort of successful with, with, with all, the, all the magic work. Um was part of that about the structure that the army gave and that it kind of, it almost forced you into a routine and that you maybe, yeah. if you were pure, pure doing the, the magician work. I, I think that's right. I don't know if at the time I necessarily realized how important that was, but looking back, it was very important. So 
obviously at the time when I'd just come off of my first TV spot, all of a sudden I was shot into the spotlight and I was doing getting asked to do these huge shows and huge bookings. Um, and at the time when you're on these shows, you don't really know what your life is going to be like when you come off these shows. You don't really understand it. I I just assumed I'd come off the show and that's my life. I've made it. I don't know. Maybe I just life becomes easy after that, uh, which was a huge mistake. It's not like that at all. It, it, when I when I came off the show, I suddenly realized that that's just the start. That just gets your name in front of people. At that point, I had to learn fast that to get a tour show you i had to do a lot of stuff myself i had to be uh meeting people networking and meeting the right people and figuring out the best kind of show for different kind of events and um taking on bookings and learning about managements and their management styles and who's in charge of what and and how to get an accountant for the first time and how the taxes work and all that kind of stuff. Cause obviously uh, in the army, it's all done for you. It's the beauty, <laughs> beauty. You never, I never had to worry about that. So obviously all of these, suddenly all these problems and issues suddenly just slammed me in the face and I had to figure out things as I was going along. And it was a very stressful time, uh, if I'm being honest, but um, something that I, I noticed a lot of people when they come off the shows, you, you, if the people who aren't so successful are the people who just get swept up in that mindset of, Oh, okay, I've made it now. And and then they never get around to really reaching out and, and structuring their day in a productive way to make sure it all works. Now, the thing that was lucky for me is because I was stayed in the army, my boss was great. He, he really, um, really kept me involved. So um, I think if I would have suddenly left the army, which was an option, they gave me an option uh, about a week after. Um, so uh, the week after the show was the Queen's birthday parade, which I was involved with. So they wouldn't let me go before I'd done that. So I, I'd finished that um, because I'm in the House of Caribbean. We finished that on, uh, on the troop in the colour. And then they uh, sat me down. It was like a meeting I've never had ever, ever before and probably never again. And there must have been five or six colonels and generals all sat around this table trying to decide what to do with me, which was quite exciting. And um, and they said, look, we will let you leave now, but uh, just just so you know, obviously you're just being pushed into this open world. You're going to be on your own, um, and you have to fend for yourself, essentially. Um, but I knew mindset wise, I always wanted to be a soldier. I always wanted to be in the army, like my brother and my my parents. And I felt like I would be losing a big part of myself by doing that. Um, it's difficult to really. I still today can't really explain how important it was and why it was so important. But I feel like it's easy to get lost in, in the chaos of the entertainment industry. If you've never done it before, it's like being thrown into a completely different world and you don't know if you're necessarily even going to enjoy it. But what I liked about being in the army is I could carry on doing army stuff um, during the day and not be worried about the stress of other things. It was good. I don't really know. Um, the more I explain it, the more I suddenly realize I, I don't necessarily know the specific reason. But I think the the camaraderie that you have with your friends and, and and being with people that you know and trust, I think, was very important because sort of like a bit of a mental refresh, world. almost like it. You know, you could kind of like take your mind out out of, um, yeah, and just out of one kind of, as you say, like chaotic industry, and then just sort of uh, yeah, level. Your- I think what it is 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 the the sense of. Um, loss of power i think 
because I was so overwhelmed with so many different things that I needed to be doing in, in different places, I felt like I was a master of none. I didn't know, I didn't understand the taxes and I had an accountant who was trying to explain stuff to me, didn't really understand it. I had uh, a management who were telling me I should be doing this, this and that. And, and I didn't really understand if it was the right thing or not. Does at least I knew, I knew I was good at my army job and I had that. And I could go and do that and feel like I'd done something good today, uh, even if the other part of my uh, world was chaos i think it's good to have some sort of comfort and guarantee while juggling and trying to understand the world i mean 12 years on i now understand how how the entertainment works i feel very comfortable in it i'm aware that there's lots of sharks out there who um there's i mean the 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 biggest problem when i first came off the show is is the sharks who are out there know that you've been launched into this completely new world and you don't understand what you're doing. And they take advantage of that. And before you know it, you've got a middleman for a middleman for a middle person for a middle person before the client at the end. And before you know it, all your, your work doing all this work and there's lots of people who are getting paid from your work and you don't really understand who they are or what they've even done to be a part of it. And it's it's kind of this messy world that, um, that only survives from these talent shows. X Factor, Brent's Got Talent. A lot of the people in the industry their only job is to kind of feed off of the uh, the lack of knowledge of some of the contestants when they come off these shows, which is pretty crazy to know. But there are good people out there as well, and I'm very lucky now that I've got great connections in industry and, and lots of people who have uh, who I really enjoy working with. But um, but yeah, if it wasn't for the army keeping me in one place, I would have had a bit of a breakdown. I've got to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to handle uh, the carnage that you get sprung into. Yeah, well. <laughs> It's interesting. I, I read a book recently about um, uh, it was called the Molecule of More, and it's essentially about dopamine and saying that you know it's a huge dri- uh, driver in, in kind of how we we live our lives. And it's it's essentially whilst you know people may traditionally think of it as a, as a kind of pleasure drug, it's not actually. It's more a sort of like task satisfaction dr- drug, and it's kind of like moving towards goals, um, perhaps accomplishing goals. And I wonder if there was something in there of like the army giving close enough achievable goals as was giving you that kind of like dopamine regulation whereas everything else was so sort of unknown you're like i don't even know if i'm making progress towards it i don't even know yeah. if i'm like you know am i going in the right direction whereas at least in this area you're like getting my dopamine hit i mean you know yeah. it absolutely echoes as well like I, I, the, I think the army's quite great for that, great for that giving you those little kind of task complete satisfaction hits yeah i totally agree and i think all the things that i've been successful in i've taken on that kind of army mindset of knowing specifically what it is that i need to achieve and then learning all of those little steps on the ladder in tiny little segments so that you never wake up and you've you've got you're unaware of what you can do to get to this huge height that you want to achieve instead of that you wake up and you just look at that next step in the chain and you know okay i need to do that and then i need to do that and it's nice and clear laid out and and the other thing is I, obviously, when you first join the army, like one of the first things that stress you out, and you people who have never been in the military would won't understand just how making your bed in the morning can make a man cry. But my God, the stress when you first join the army! I, I remember the first two weeks, the amount of stress I used to find and calling home, like in, in uh, the stress of of having to get my bed so immaculately immaculately ironed uh so it's perfect for inspections in the morning and and the the creases in my trousers and all that kind of stuff because the people in charge would if there was the tiniest uh crease they would kick off and and you'd be the worst human in the world even to the point where some people would rather sleep on the floor and make their bed the night before so then it would be fine which i think is a step too far but um but i never really understood at the time 
why that was happening. I mean, I assumed it was some sort of discipline to make sure that you carry out your your tasks well. But I never really realized in, in, until more recently that uh, I heard uh, there's a, a Navy SEAL, I believe he's a general, um, American Navy SEAL general, someone in charge, uh, did a, oh, yeah, a, a speech recently. Yeah. yeah, and he said about the, the reason that, that you wake out the bed. Book if you want if Admiral yeah, well, Craven, it, I think. If it's the guy you've what's got, his I, name's... I think it's Admiral McRaven. Right, okay, that rings a bell, yeah. And he said the beauty of of uh of getting up out of bed, making your bed straight away and being uh, making it well is it means that's your first task in the day nailed and it sets you off on the right path that once you've done that you can then get on with your next task make sure you've done it and then move on to your next task whereas if i, I think we've all experienced it where when in the days when you get out of bed and you snooze your alarm and then you kind of hobble out of bed and you're, you're you're there's clothes everywhere that you've got to figure out okay i've got to put them away you kind of end up having a terrible day overall because you, you're in that that slow lazy kind of mindset the whole way through so um i mean something that fascinates me which i started doing in lockdown is um is planning the night before everything like what you're going to wear the next day so that you, you don't even have the decision when you wake up you don't even have to figure out okay what shirt should i wear what trousers what shoes am i going to wear i just had I had it all laid out okay this is what i'm going to wear tomorrow so i wake up and just get straight in it it's a decision that i don't need to waste i don't need to waste any energy on that get straight involved in the day and I also love the, I kind of love, I'm not a minimalist, but I love the idea of minimalism and, and Mark Zuckerberg and um, uh, the Apple uh, founder. Um, well, who's the Apple founder? Steve yeah. Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah, of course. How they, they, whenever you see them, they're just always just in a, a, a black t-shirt, jeans and trainers. They, they, they never even, and I realized that lots of people who are super successful in business do that same thing because it's they their whole wardrobe is just the same so they don't waste any time trying to figure out what to wear they just figure out what they like to wear and just get loads of it mm -hmm. and uh and even just that i think is is great i mean uh, we all probably waste too much time when we're going out to an event trying to figure out okay what am i going to wear tonight and and you end up uh, the the space of time which probably what three minutes to get changed ends up being an hour because you try on something you're not sure if it works and you try on something else and so so something i do now is i try especially when i when i do shows i have a set um so when, when i do close-up magic at events i have a set um suit that i wear that i enjoy wearing and when i do stage uh magic i i have a, a different suit um, and I just try to always stick to that because otherwise you, you end up not feeling comfortable in your own clothes and it takes too long to figure out what you want to do. And it's just stressful. You just take as much stress out of your life as you can. You know, it's really interesting. You said that because uh, doing a bit of Googling before that and, you know, I, I saw various photographs of you at various events. I did I did actually pop into my mind. I was like, oh, he's wearing that same thing again there. But that mm. all kind of makes sense now back to the actual and actually, you know, I mean, we'll probably talk about this in a bit, but the different types of magic, I can imagine there's some that are a bit more, it's about the show and the kind of like, yeah, the costume and the lights and the music is part of it. But then perhaps actually, if your style of, of, of what you like to do is, is different to that, maybe you detract from it by having, by being dressed as a, you know, giant dragon or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, well, the thing, um, so I, I kind of uh, made the decision to try and wear the same thing um, since lockdown. Uh, before then, I, I mean, I've got so many suits. I've probably got 15 to 20 different suits that I've kind of got together over the last kind of six years because I'm always performing. I, I always need suits. But um, 
but I I've since realized that actually it makes more sense to always have a, a, a the kind of same outfit because then people begin to recognize you from what you wear as well like I've got uh, no the doubt a very boy. forgettable face and unless uh, unless I'm in uniform people don't picture me oh it's the guy from BGT um so uh but it but it is uh, yeah I mean uh, Piff the Magic Dragon who is uh, now performing in Vegas I mean you would never mistake him for anyone else even if you didn't know his face because he walks around in a giant um uh Piff the Magic Dragon outfit which is hilarious and it sounds ridiculous but when you see his act it's, it's just genius it's very clever um so but i i i mean i'm not i don't like to stand out when when i'm on stage i i love creating experiences for people but when i'm not on stage i really don't really don't really like to stand out i don't ever and i would never go to an event and and try and be the center of attention unless i'm there to perform um I'm, i'm more of an introvert really but when i'm on stage i kind of i can express whatever i need to do but i, I would never necessarily choose to be this interventional so i don't really wear anything too uh eye-catching i'm i'm very basic i mean i used to wear a black suit on stage and after a while i realized that's a bad idea purely for the the way most theater stages work quite often you have a black backdrop and and uh oh, before right. you know it you're just a floating head wandering around stage um so there's certain reasons why my stage suit is slightly different from my close-up suit just because uh for the lighting it needs to catch the lighting of i it's still very basic i, I wear um a blue blazer with uh the household cavalry emblem on the side which kind of is a nod to my army career and and, and my regiment and a regimental tie i always wear as well uh but the blue suit jacket has got a hint of sparkle which you wouldn't really notice but the lights it allows the shoulders to stand out so people can see at least see me on stage um Where, but, you uh, yeah stuff? i mean a lot of thought goes into it and and you yeah which is why i like to take all of the decision making out of it i've decided that works i'm going to try and stick with that now i was curious to know like where 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 do you, all these things about like knowing you know that, that oh this thing will do you just learn it by trial and error or do you have a sort of like a kind of like mentor type character or is there somewhere you can go i know you're a member of like you know things like the magic circle and stuff like that where, where did, where... Yeah, I'm a member of the Magic Circle, uh, which is useful. But I, in all honesty, I wish I had a, a mentor for for the stuff that I do. But um, what I, I mean, what I do specifically, there isn't that many magicians that do the same kind of stuff as me. Um, the majority of shows I do, it tends to be on stage, uh, like after dinner shows uh, in a in a room full of like a corporate event where big company has this big fancy meal, and then they have entertainment after the meal. I'd get up and typically do. 30 to 40 minutes very interactive getting people involved um but there's not really that many magicians that do that the most the majority of magicians in the uk are close-up magicians they'll go around at weddings and do a fantastic job entertaining guests one-on-one or in little groups um so a lot of what i've had to learn has has been through trial and error and there's there's lots of big things that that i've learned over my time and the the interesting one is the difference between theatres and uh, like corporate bookings is in theatres everyone's paid to come and have a seat to watch me do a show, which is a lovely experience. So I can come out on stage and I know they've got their their attention because they're here to be involved with what I've got for them, which is wonderful. And I, you don't have to work to get to get them on side so much at the start of a show. Whereas when you go on stage in a corporate environment. A lot of the time, people are there either to network, uh, to impress their boss, or maybe they don't want to be there, but they know they've got to be there because it's their company work due, and they know that they can slip off at 10 and they've shown their face and and whatever. So that tends to be the time that I would go on at these kind of events. It'll be between half nine, 10-ish. So 
I've learned over time how to get people's attention at that moment. And also the other thing you have to bear in mind is a lot of people might be really drunk. They might be a bit uh, far gone on, on that scene. And, um, and also you have to get their attention whereas they might have had a musician on, they might have had singers, they might have had boring presentations for the last four hours and all they want to do is just chill and have a chat with their team. So I've learned that it's quite tricky to get everyone's attention in a room, get them all to focus on me. But gradually over the years, I've tried lots of different things. And now what I do, I feel like is is very powerful. Instead of fighting for people's attention and, and being on stage and trying to talk louder to get their attention, something that works far better with crowds that are in their own conversations and, and not giving their full attention to the, the things going on stage. Something that's far more powerful is to introduce yourself and just pause for a moment and and just that that difference it'll be that one point in that night where all of a sudden there's there's no one shouting at them or talking at them on stage and it changes it from them being spoken to and at this entire evening to you waiting for them to give you attention and that that is enough to grab their attention in in such a unique way and and one by one you see people turn around and also People who still haven't noticed that will be notified by someone else in the room. They'll be yeah, yeah, not, on the like, tapped on the shoulder, say, look, he's, this is about to do something special. And I always make a point at those shows where they're not there specifically to see me and I have to get them on board. I always make a point of very slowly and calmly, which they won't have experienced up until this point in this event, really calmly just say, look, we're going to do something really special. But before we do this, take the time now if you're facing a different direction, take the time now to lift up your chair, turn it around so that you're all looking directly this way. And they take the time to do that. And and they all do it because if you're the one idiot in the room who's sat facing the other way and everyone's facing the other way, you're going to look like a prat. They all will do it. They all do. Social they all turn up again. their chair. It's, yeah, they turn and face the, the stage. And once they've committed that decision to give me that that energy and that process... I then find it really easy to then lock their eyes, lock their attention towards me. And I always start with a big uh, a physical process where everyone follows me in this little psychological game I, I do on stage where they they all follow me in, in the moves that they do with their arms. And we do this little game, uh, which involves their attention. And because that's the point in the night where instead of me, until, instead of the other people telling the people in the room, what they should enjoy and listen to this and clap this person who's coming on stage for an award. It's the one point where then that whole energy shifts and it's me requiring that audience to give me something. And and they, they, they it's like we're, we're suddenly, uh, the, the boundaries change. And I, I only started doing this um, probably a few years ago. I used to always feel like if they're not listening, maybe I just need to be louder and you try and fight that. But then the more you try and fight them, the bigger that boundary becomes. But just the psychology behind coming across in such a different way, a calmer way that they haven't experienced and really quiet. I make a point of making sure that they really have to listen to what I hear what I'm saying at that start. And then once I've got their attention and we're involved and they're having a good time, I can then start doing being more um, uh, involving more energy and, and doing bigger things because I know I've gained their trust at that point. But the the biggest mistake I see presenters and magicians and anyone on stage do is they go on stage in this big high energy and expect attention, but you can't do that. You can do that in a theater if they're there to see you, but you, c you can't get away with that in, in different environments.
it's like a, it's it, you know it reminded me of it made me think of teachers at school you know there's teachers who could control a class versus couldn't control a class i assume in a, in a they're kind of doing a bit of a performance aren't they up the front there and actually exactly and and also but on that i guess a lot of that is to do with respect as well instead of being spoken to and shouted at to give your attention you must listen to me or you're getting sent out by just changing that and and giving them the the thought that they want to give respect and they want to respect is is a totally different mindset instead of them fighting and and being told they have to listen convince them that that they want to listen and it's the same with anything i i think motivation as well if uh you'll never be motivated to do something you don't want to do uh you can only you can only motivate yourself to do something by convincing yourself as to why you're going to enjoy that process and why you want to do it and and figure out the reasons why that's a good thing and why you should enjoy it and then when you enjoy it it doesn't even feel like work you can get on and do it if, if that makes sense that yeah because that's it i can imagine you're almost like the moment you're saying exactly as you said about like having a, a crowd of people trying to shout over them and them assuming that they're there for you you're kind of making it as if like everybody else isn't really a player in their own world and you're just the main character and everyone's there just as like a character for you but and like forgetting the fact of like no, no they're living their own world they they as you said at the beginning they're probably drunk they probably don't give, don't want to be there they're probably like who is this guy um and i love that it like it, it plays down into that those kind of like you talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you use the word manipulation, which obviously has such negative undertones usually, but actually really that's what you're sort of doing for a performance and you're kind of playing a bit of a power game and you're, uh, you know, I read something recently about sort of, it's called physical intelligence and it was talking about these little kind of things that you can do to kind of like hack our body's natural, um, you know, inclination towards like body language and things like that. And one of them I think is like speak slowly um there's something about sort of take pauses rather than kind of rushing into things becomes a little bit of a powerful thing because you know the person in the position of power isn't at a rush to say what they need to say they can take their time and you're kind of like hacking that a little bit um i mean what's yeah i that fascinates me see that stuff you're talking about by the body language and and uh and what grabs people's attention to really want to listen to you not not just feel like they have to listen to you, but feel like there's enough intrigue for them to want to hear what you're, you've got to say. I think that's a very unique uh, and interesting thing to, if you can get them on board to, to not just feel like they owe you that respect to do it, but to feel like they are actually interested and want to hear it. Uh, even if they're not usually into magic, but you've got to captivate them in some way. And, and actually, uh, before I forget, I should also say that when I, when I, th there is a big problem, it's not a problem, but there's a big tendency in the magic world for performing magicians to without realizing create this boundary between the audience and them right. by doing magic in a way that it's almost comes across like look at me i can do this it's amazing bam they do something amazing make something appear and it's a bit like there's this risk that then you you're kind of this godlike person who can do these great things but and they're just this person watching they're they're just nobody oh, oh i wish i could do that. that's great but we can't you you're just this magic man who's almost show offy you can do this and you can do that you can do this and uh, i think everyone who starts magic starts off in that realm because it's difficult to understand how you make people feel by doing that and you see get great reactions and that makes you feel like you're doing a good job but um after a while, I realized that actually it's far more powerful to 
involve people so they feel like they're a part of what just happened and also that if it wasn't for them maybe i couldn't have done what i just did uh, I, I much rather make the magic about them so that they feel like maybe this doesn't usually work but it worked for them it works occasionally with certain people who are inquisitive enough or, or um got the right mindset to be able to create stuff visually in their mind that sometimes th- this will work better and then they do something amazing they feel like wow i've I was a real part of that. And anyone who's seen me do, um, for example, the Britain's Got Talent special I did um, just before Christmas, I, I, it wasn't about the magic. The magic was stuff that most magicians can probably do. It was it was more about creating a special moment for a special person. And so I did this thing for Amanda, did this lovely thing where she got reunited with her, her friend who, who actually saved her life many years ago and she hadn't seen her in a long time. And I, I, felt, like, I felt like I would much rather whether it's using magic or not, create an experience for someone that touches their them not just in their mind, but in in their in their heart, and and something that they'll remember forever, something that changes them, and re- something that an experience that they'll never forget. I would much rather do that than be remembered as the guy who did card tricks at a wedding. And he, oh yeah, he was really good. He, he he kept finding my card. It was it was funny. It was good. Can't remember what he did. I'd much rather people remember me as wow. Yeah, I remember. I remember where I went on this journey in my mind with this guy and we, we remembered uh, my my friend from school and this whole memory that we did together. Um, yeah, and, and it's difficult to ex- explain what I do. If anyone hasn't seen what I do, if, if you check out my YouTube channel, Richard Jones Magic, there's some examples of stuff I've done more recently on there where where I take people on a journey and want them to to experience something special rather than it being about me and, and them thinking I'm this great wizard who can do really cool stuff. I would much rather, even if they didn't remember who I even was, I would much rather them just remember, wow, I met this guy once and we just did this amazing thing where I remembered this and this happened and I was holding this object and it changed and it was wonderful. And I think that's the that's what makes it, that's the difference, I think, between a great magician and someone who's maybe not so great is it's just the frame of why they're doing it. I never do anything to show off and, and to be a party man at a show like, Oh, look how cool I am. I can do this. I, 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 I don't, I'm not even that worried about being remembered as the person who did it. Mm-hmm. I would just rather people have something, maybe a little thing in their wallet that I give them to keep. I, whenever I give giveaways, I always say, look, keep this in your wallet and it'll bring you good luck. And whenever they see that, I know it will be a reminder of that special thing that that we created in that moment. And I want every moment to feel like we'll never have a moment exactly like that again. I, I might do that same piece of magic on lots of different people, but every time it's unique and it's perfectly created just for that person in that moment. You know what? It's funny, when you told the story and you sort of mentioned people doing the the slightly self-centered style tricks where it's you know very maybe technically impressive and, and showy, I, I, it just reminds me I just went on holiday and and, uh, and and saw a bit of that myself and you know what my little inner dickhead side probably thought when when he's do, flashing things in front of my face and things like that I probably thought oh what a, what a prat you know it was a bit because you're right it was a little bit like a show off it's about oh look at what look what I can do and look at you idiots who are, who are, who are who are tricked and maybe that's me being a you know a, a grumpy and resentful person but yeah a little bit of you does think oh what a what a what a bad end. but but you're right and exactly that point and i know lots of magicians who sometimes when they're at close up events doing magic close up for people sometimes they they'll have a lot of stories about how they've had difficult um spectators who will want to grab stuff and say oh no you did this and then they'll grab the cards i find i never really get that but i think it's because i never i think the risk of 
being this guy who can do this amazing stuff it's almost a challenge yeah. for some people and it's almost sometimes people think oh he, it kind of annoys people that oh he's just showing off and he's I I think he's doing this and it, instead of making it a challenge I I try to make sure that it's it's them that that we're praising for wow great job you did a really good job by being able to do that it's it's more about them there's there's less of a fight I find uh, when I perform that magic of like because it sounds to me I saw a few things recently about sort of talking about storytelling and the the skill of being able to tell a story which is something I'm so in awe of personally because I think. I'm bloody awful at spinning a dit or telling a story. And I'm really, you know, I think it's so impressive when people can captivate, you know, they can talk about anything, but they can, they can do it in this like captivating way. And there's something, yeah, we talked about it being like innately human about being able to kind of convey, you know, perhaps a deeper human emotion, a deeper human concept via a story. And perhaps whilst we all feel the emotion, most of us couldn't tell, tell the emotion through a story. And like the person telling the story is kind of like, taking you on that journey and you're like oh shit yeah that is how it feels that is how it kind of goes and like it's you know from seeing some of your stuff before and, and hearing you describe it there it sounds kind of almost like what you're doing with your with with with, with your you know your, your, your tricks and your stories yeah and it actually it links quite nicely with hypnosis and i don't mean there's probably everyone's probably seen a hypnosis show where a hypnotist will get people out and make them dance like a chicken and that kind of stuff, which doesn't interest me in the slightest. But the kind of magic, the kind of uh, hypnosis that I admire, uh, like Darren Brown is a good example, but but just the people who, uh, I mean, hypnosis works for the people who want an experience. If you don't really don't want to be hypnotized, you can't be hypnotized because you have to go through an imaginary process to get you at a point where you're then focusing more on your subconscious mind than you are your conscious mind you're, there's no boundaries your mind is more open to be one in an experience which is such a special thing to do and i love hypnosis i listen to uh, paul mckenna uh, hypnosis quite quite often um and i and i get a great benefit from it from uh, i i feel like it really really does uh, does work even though i mean it's still so unknown um but you have to you have to kind of want to be in a position where you want that experience and you, you're giving up part of your energy to that process um, to then be take you on that journey. And a lot of hypnosis is about just guided meditation, guiding people on a journey to experience what they choose to experience in that, uh, in that moment. And the power of storytelling is, is huge. I, I think as, as magicians, I, I think every magician out there probably already knows way too many tricks we don't need as magicians as a community no one needs more effects we all got lots of different things we can do i always tell magicians when i do lectures for them that, that what you want to do is you want to focus on taking one or two things that you do and trying to change it and make it so powerful that it becomes this complete story in itself instead of it just being uh, choose a card like i'll find it shuffle the cards this is your card instead of doing that you if you can add a story to it that that takes their imagination on a journey you, you'll always end up creating something far more powerful for them to remember uh than than, than just yeah the, the every trick at its bare bones is very boring mm. it's about how you can make that more interesting and present it in a way that that feels special in that moment so what is so if obviously without going into specifics um for something like let's say cards let's just stick with cards are there kind of like a baseline of like i don't know half a dozen like mechanisms that you're essentially or moves that you're doing and everything else is kind of like 
is cosmetic and is, is sort of wrapping it into the, the as you say the story of the trick yeah because essentially there there is um there's, there's a number of underlying principles in all magic really and once you understand those you can create lots of weird and wonderful things but the the trap in magic is very often once you've learned, say for example, a sleight of hand technique for a pack of cards. Once you've learned that, it still is in itself in its individual form quite interesting and impressive to to someone who's watching. If you, for example, they choose a card, you shuffle them, and then you find that card, that's still kind of impressive. And and a lot of magicians get hooked on that feeling that that they just learn sleight of hand and they just present it in this basic form and they get reactions, which they do. And it's wonderful. And you you can you can really be entertained from just that. But there it's a whole different thing to be able to be a mechanical magician that, that can do all the sleight of hand and have spent all their time and years and years working sleight of hand. It's completely different from that, from the the other person, the opposite, who only knows one sleight of hand move, mm. but from that can create a whole five minute routine about weird and wonderful things happening, and then it happens in a spectator's hand, and there's lots of reasons behind it. There's a story behind it. That is a far better piece of entertainment than than just understanding the basics. It could be. It's basically like we all know how to to write words on paper, but we're not all we can't all write stories, books, and it's it's completely different level of uh, of understanding of performance and i know some people who are the so incredible at sleight of hand and have spent years and years working on lots of different sleight of hand techniques but they're, they're dreadful performers because they don't understand how to create that moment uh, uh for someone and so i i think that is something that that holds us back um i i think it needs to be more focused on the audience than than the moves and it's interesting that Magic is one of the only art forms that I can think of where you spend hours and hours, sometimes months and months, learning a move in the hope that no one ever sees that move, <laughs> which is quite a strange concept. So you could end up mastering a secret sleight of hand move, which is so good and you've done it so well that no one even realizes you did a move, which is very different to, for example, if you're a pianist, you spend hours and hours, months and months perfecting a piece of music and then you're you're really excited to then perform it for people and they love it and they they think, wow, you've spent a lot of time on that. And they can clearly tell that you've spent months and months learning that piece of music. Whereas the the beauty of sleight of hand is it might just be, for example, getting a, a technique that you've mastered to get a card from the middle of the pack, find out where it is and get it to the top of the pack, for example, so you can then locate it. But for the audience, even though you've spent months and months, maybe years perfecting that move, for the audience, all you've done is just hold that pack of cards in your hands. You've done nothing special or nothing. So it's it's a, it's a strange thing to grasp as a as a young magician just starting out in magic that you work so hard on something that sometimes you think wow i wish i could just show you how incredible what i've just done with this pack of cards is but obviously you can't do that because the moment you show them that then it ruins the magic for them do you, do you think so the, cards- it, it oh, is God. a strange thing to grasp <laughs> i was gonna say do you, do you think sometimes you know we talked about these sort of like technical masters sleight of hand masters and yeah, the, to the you know the, the the common man to the the layman, they're not going to notice whether you say, let's say, do, did a simple method of of keeping hold of that card, that key card, or a highly complex method. And is it almost like they're they're sort of like performing for other magicians as like a bit of a status thing in the in, in the world there? And it's a kind of like, as I say, this is it's not about the audience anymore. It's about sort of showing off to their peers to, to an extent. 
Yeah, to be to be honest, there are there's lots of different um, types of magic. There, I mean, there's a whole industry of magicians who just perform for magicians, and uh, and they will absolutely inspire other magicians because they're just brilliant at certain things. But there, I mean, we'll just take that basic example of um, of the card going from the center to the top of the pack. Essentially, all that is is figuring out, even though they might have shuffled the cards, figuring out what their card is, where it is, and how to get it to the top without them realizing you've done anything. There's probably 150 different ways and techniques of that I know of that you could do that move. Um. I mean, I would never choose to focus all my energy on learning lots of different ways. You only ever need one way of doing one thing because to the audience, you shouldn't have done anything. In the audience's view and perception, you haven't done anything anyway. Um, But I I know magicians who will sit and learn 15 different ways to do one move and and they might find an incredible way of doing it that takes so much light hand. It's fascinating to watch and to understand as a magician. But to the public, they don't see any difference. And that's that's the point. It's it's done slight hand. They should never see it. Um, So although it inspires magicians to see incredible sleight of hand and, and different techniques being used really i would rather people spend that time and energy in in creating and understanding what it is they're presenting what people actually see and making that moment powerful uh rather than than learning all the other little bits and bobs but but yeah i, I it does it does still impress me when i see really good sleight of hand it absolutely impresses me i just i choose not to spend my time learning anything that doesn't aid or create a better experience for the audience yeah yeah no um what in, in terms of that interaction with the audience like we mentioned it earlier when we sort of talked you, you talked about um um you know darren brown um and the sort of uh words gone out of my head um hypnosis um like and you mentioned certain individuals being kind of more open to it and that they have to sort of be a lot they have to kind of want to do it is it really just a bit of a lottery when you when you get somebody up there for something like that or, or or are there ways that you can actually sort of read the audience's body language and think this is a way to direct you know the, the trick towards th- these types of people rather than these types of people these guys are going to be more receptive Did you, are there any sort of like tells and things like that uh absolutely there are uh so whenever from the very first moment i come out onto stage i i already i always tend to start with the same uh the same opening and during that opening kind of five ten minutes that's my time where i i know what i'm saying off the back of my head so i don't need to worry about focusing on what i'm necessarily doing my attention is looking at in the audience and trying to find people who would be great to come on stage and involve in different elements of the show um i mean there are lots of different reasons as to why I would choose some people rather than other people. Um, but the the most important thing for me, which is quite a simple thing really, is to choose a person who looks like they're they're smiling and they're really invested in what it is I, I'm doing. Because I know that that one, the the risk is if you choose someone who looks who turns turns out you get them on stage and one they're just super grumpy people and i mean that's not entertaining for anyone to watch so you don't want i mean they might not be grumpy but if they if they look miserable you don't want to get them on stage because then everyone's on a downer right that affects everyone's energy so you want to get first of all you want to get someone who looks like they got something a bit about and they really want to get involved in it and they're they're up for it um but not necessarily too involved. They always say in magic, never ask for volunteers. If you do ask for a volunteer and they put their hand up, usually avoid that person because quite often, 
quite often they uh they uh, i mean quite often one they they just want to be center of attention which yeah. kind of isn't a good thing especially when you're doing more psychologically based stuff because they're there on stage for the wrong reason um i i tend to choose people one based on how fun i feel like they'd be on stage and and um and two i want them to be invested and, and confident enough to not crumble on stage. You don't want someone who's going to have a meltdown and panic on stage and just not enjoy the experience. But also there is an element of an element I look for where I feel like they're going to, I'm going to be able to make help them guide them to the, the decisions that I need them to make. So this is quite difficult to explain, but essentially a lot of what I do in my show is based on understanding how humans make decisions under pressure. So, for example, if I if I asked you now to uh, think of a let's say I asked you to think of a number between one and a hundred, I mean, there's very little chance I could know what number you were going to choose because it's a one and a hundred. But if I had got you onto stage and all of a sudden there's a little element of pressure there, uh, they're suddenly on stage, they're, they're going to think a little bit faster. They're not going to dilly dally around thinking, well, if he. If I think of twenty-seven, he might have preempted that. Maybe, maybe I should go for thirty-six. And they're not going to take time. They're going to, they're, they're going to have a snappy decision in their mind. Okay, I'm going to go with this number. Uh, and so, when you build layers of pressure on people, the lights on them, the attention to asking them, I ask them in a specific way to ask without too much hesitation. I say, look, just think of a number between one and hundred. Get it now. Keep that one that you've got in mind now. I'll do this whole process, and th- this is just an example, but. I try to layer different elements of pressure so that without them even realizing they become a little bit narrow minded and a little bit more predictable because what I love about magic is, is performing magic, especially on stage. I realize how similar we all are. Mm. We've all been brought up in similar environments, especially here in the UK. We all kind of had the same schooling when we're put under pressure. We, and, and we have to think on, on the spot. We, we all kind of think along the same lines. No, we, obviously we're all unique in our own ways but in certain scenarios what i bank on is understanding what decisions people are likely to make under pressure and then combine that with little elements of influencing to make sure that subconsciously they end up with the result that i need them to result into before we do this uh this mind reading experience um i realize this is quite a difficult thing for me to explain um i can let me try uh, I, I, are we? Will you upload a, the video of this as well? Or is it just? Oh, I uh, don't just normally, podcast? but it, it's definitely something we we can do. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'll try. Let me let me try and take you on an experience. Oh, I didn't think I'd actually. Uh, I wasn't planning on doing this, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll right. I'll drop something down. Um, uh, so those those people are just listening. I've got a chalkboard in my hand. I'm just going to jot something down on the board. Um, and then I'll take you on a little experience. This minor work is, is a lot more difficult to do over Zoom because there's a lot of elements that I would usually add on top that we can't do when we're not face-to-face. But first things first, I'm just going to jot something down. Okay, so in this process, what I would usually do is, so those of you just listening, I've just written something down, um, but Andy can't see just yet. Uh, in this process, what I would usually do is uh, do guided meditation. I'd ask the person to be close their eyes and go on a journey with me. I don't want you to close your eyes because if I ask you to close your eyes and name something, you might just assume I've just written it down, um, which uh, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, so I've, I have written something down. I want you to just do an experience. Keep your eyes open, but I want you to imagine walking towards your front door. Yeah. 
Okay, you can visually already see that in your mind. Everyone has a great vision of their own front door. Everyone can picture it. Picture the color of it. Picture the number of your door. Picture the windows and, and the pathway up to your front door. Now I want you to imagine, I want you to walk backwards, back to your gate or at least 10 foot away from your door. Look at the ground. Imagine looking at the ground. And now imagine walking towards your door. You look up at the door and you realize someone's changed the color of your door. Someone's spray painting the color of the door. Of the door. So it's no longer the color that you have in your mind. It's no longer the real color. It's now changed to another color. Just tell me, what is the color of your front door now? Now that it's colored. Gold? Gold. It's now a gold door. Yeah. It turns out, I wrote something down. It turns out. You are correct. It is gold. Okay, so that's a good start. Uh, so that, that's just that's just to get us warmed up. So those people who are just listening, don't panic. All I wrote was correct on the board. So that was just a joke, but it was just to warm up, just so that I now understand a little bit about how your decisions make. So that's quite unusual. People don't usually go for gold. Usually they go for red or blue, uh, which is much more predictable. So that's going to help me with this final part. I'm going to jot down this time a number, okay? Now, this is going to be a three-digit number, Andy. Uh, it is a three-digit number. I'll keep this here. I won't show you just yet, but I want you now to realize there's this gold door. Someone spray painted it gold. Not only have they spray painted it gold, they've also changed your number. It's no longer the actual number for your front door. I want you to take the time now to one at a time, visualize those numbers. Tell us what is that first number? You want me to say it? Yeah, just that first number. Three. Okay, this is a good start. Okay, so we've got a three. What is the second digit? Four. Okay, fine. And just to check, this isn't your actual house number? No, no, no. Okay, fine. What is that final digit? One. So 341 is what you see in your mind on this gold door? Yeah. And Okay, and that felt like a fair choice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show you what I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> 341. Oh, that. So, what? essentially, that, that was just in order to I'm quite amazed that you worked. I always felt bad because I was like, oh, God, I haven't, like, neutralize my mind enough maybe maybe it's going to be wrong and it's going to be embarrassing i don't know how the fuck you did that wow <laughs> so those people who are just listening i, I just turned around the board it was three four one was what i was hoping you'd go for i wasn't entirely sure if i get all three of those numbers i would never usually risk this across the internet because uh, usually i'd lay out far more decisions uh, on people but but for example depending on what decisions people make early on in their experience helps me to understand whether their decisions are going to be a little bit more predictable or slightly more unusual for example if i write down uh, a b c d which is how i usually start the show i would ask people to raise their hands if they chose b or or c which are the most common choices um whereas then i would get everyone who chose a and d to stand up they're the least uh, common choices a and d b and c tend to be just more predictable more easy and more comfortable for us to make that decision uh so then i would do some fun games with the people who who were less predictable but but essentially what i'm doing even though it looks like we're just playing fun games and doing doing magic essentially what i'm doing is building an understanding of what kind of decisions people in who i can see at least in the first few rows what kind of decisions they're making earlier on and then build a little idea in my mind as to who would be great on stage at different points in the show for different kind of tricks and different kind of routines. Um, and and a lot of that is to do with how perceptive I feel like they'll be. Like in this moment, you picked up what I was hoping you would pick up, which was great. Um, there's obviously a lot involved in it. Uh, there's a, a lot of, to do with the language pattern, also visualization and the stuff that all comes into play at the same time. But it doesn't always work. Sometimes it goes wrong, but 
But I like to think that if I if I do make mistakes, I kind of kind of cover my tracks, and we kind of end up creating something different anyway. And the beauty you of magic, prolong, you prolong the trick, do you? Basically, if it goes wrong, yeah. Essentially, like... essentially, the audience don't know what the end is until you give them that end. So very often, when I get people on stage, because it is so audience interactive and audience based, sometimes they'll make a decision that okay, that's not not what I thought they'd say at this point. So we kind of just guide the direction of the show in a slightly different way, and. And I would usually end up creating something that feels special and no one knows that that wasn't the original plan. So quite often, if you come to see a show one day and come back the next day, the show will probably feel a little bit different, even though what I plan is the same, depending on who I get and and what we do changes the outcome of of that show. Rich, what I'm trying to also do is not my mind. My mind was blown there a little bit by how you managed to do that last trick. And 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 I, I didn't want to zone out too much from what you're saying, but what I'm fascinated about with all these psychological elements to it that you're clearly so sort of well-versed in and able to essentially kind of apply, you know, be able to sort of manipulate people's thinking or, or, or not necessarily manipulate, but track people's thinking and kind of understand where they're going to go. Like your baseline for this. Um, I know we talked earlier about trial and error a lot in tricks and uh, some of your early work. Is this something where you go away and you kind of read up on the psychology and you read up on some of the like, you know, human trends towards stuff and then you think, how do I apply this to a trick? Or is this sort of, you know, playing about with things um, a, a lot more kind of like organically and kind of working out what works? As, as a good point, I, I I do read a lot of books on psychology and, and a lot of self-improvement books. I, I'm fascinated by that whole kind of industry. Um, a, a lot of it is great and a, a lot of it is uh, garbage, which I, I find fascinating. I've learned over the years, but um but and and also magic i i do read a lot of magic books and understand different things but in all honesty there's no there's no substitute for learning in the process um so you can read about lots of uh, lots of psychology about what people would do and when when you ask them certain things and the psychology behind certain certain decisions but actually what i've realized is even if I wrote a book of all the knowledge that I understand and what people tend to do when I do certain things and when I say things in certain ways, what they tend to think of, even if I wrote a book about that to someone else, even if they did it the exact same way as they read it or, or how they feel as though I've told them to do it, they'll get different results because there's so much towards our body language and the way we express ourselves that just following the words that I say and maybe the movements that I say isn't enough to guarantee the same results. So we we use so much more of our, uh, like, like a lot of people, it's different for everyone, but they believe anywhere between 60 and 80% of every communication is done non-verbally. It's not what we say that matters, it's the way we say it that captures people's attention and, and understanding. Um, which is interesting why sometimes people say lovely things to us, but we don't trust and we're not sure why. That's our subconscious understanding feeling like something's wrong here they they're, they're not quite comfortable in what they're saying or whatever but um but but what i find is there's lots of elements of what i do i know if i say what i say in the exact same way i'll get a similar result every time but i can't pinpoint down exactly all those little elements i don't understand all those different elements as to why that works for me every time i don't think i could get someone else to understand exactly it's just the way i say it the way i do it i always try to make sure when i do psychologically based stuff i try and do it exactly the same way every time i do it and it and it tends to get me similar results um i mean you can read lots of books on understanding of body language and 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 manipulation and deception which are fascinating it's really good to know and i've learned a lot from that 
but a lot of my understanding comes from just taking risks and and um and working things out from people on the go and and getting it wrong for so many years but understanding why i got it wrong and and uh, the the beauty of what i did the first kind of six years of being involved in magic is a lot of the tricks i was doing were exactly the same tricks over and over and over again that's the beauty of the magic I always had different audiences and what you understand once you've done that same piece of magic a hundred times then you can gauge an understanding of what people tend to do at certain points when you ask them to do certain things and from that just of lots of different tricks from hundreds if not thousands of performances i've learned and understood that when i ask people to choose a certain card for example if i spread the cards out i get an understanding of where they tend to choose the cards from that's, that's a basic example but then also when i say I put them back in 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 the pack somewhere they tend to be back in the same place and you tend to understand that when you ask someone to think of a number under pressure another example uh name a number quite often like for example everyone knows the the idea of uh, ask someone to think of a number between one and ten Lots of people will say seven. It tends to be the most common. In, in, in actual fact, so many people are aware of that whole process now that uh, most people who don't think of seven will try and catch catch a magician out and they'll go for nine or six. They, they tend to be the ones that people change if they know that seven's too predictable, which is it's interesting how that's changed over time. But that's just an example of it. when I, because I've asked and, and performed things so many times, I just noticed that there's certain patterns when I do do things and, and people tend to make very similar decisions when I ask in specific ways them to do things. So, so I've just kind of noted those over the years, but, but like I say, there's so many elements to that, that it always works for me or pretty much always works for me. But if I taught that to someone else, they wouldn't understand exactly their way of, of, of asking for a number or whatever until they've done it a hundred times and realized that oh, that's interesting. 40% of the time people said 21 or when I, when I changed the script into uh, think of a number, but don't say 37, people tend to think of 14 or, or this kind of stuff. You just learn different ways. And, and, and that's what I find fascinating. I feel like the beauty of me now performing so much is I've no- noticed so many different patterns that, that us as humans make that are just interestingly similar to, to each other. Rich, so you were talking earlier about, I suppose, your method of like developing tricks. Um, And I've got kind of two questions about it is um, one is like, how do you, is it, uh, do you, do you learn it like a comedian? Do you kind of go and do sort of lower end comedy clubs before you do your big tour and sort of practice it out or practice it at home loads of times? And then the second one was kind of about, you know, you've, you've clearly, learned some things that work and some things that ring true with people and and really you know as we were talking about earlier work with storytelling and i know you also mentioned helping out younger magicians is it something that you can kind of go and like you know can you teach the craft and is that something that that think organizations like the magic circle kind of do yeah so the magic circle is uh is a great organization where uh, lots of magicians do give lectures on what they've learned over the years i do lectures for them occasionally and I, i've got seen some amazing uh talks there from other magicians of the things they've learned and tricks they've put together over the years so we definitely do help each other out a lot and we do definitely grow from reading each other's books and that and that kind of stuff so that's absolutely part of the process but i guess what i was trying to explain earlier but i explained very badly is the way the best way to grow is to to do whatever it is you're doing 
hundreds of times and i think the reason i'm probably so bad at explaining specifically in a clear precise way as to what i meant by that is probably because i don't really ever explain what i mean very often i just do it and when now i'm if i did a hundred podcasts i'm sure by the hundredth one you'll probably listen to it and think wow this guy really knows what he's talking about um so what i tell magicians is the best thing to do is is it's it's far better to to know five pieces of magic really well and just get out and do each one of those every day on different people and perform those hundreds of times you're you're far likely to grow much better as a performer overall doing that than it would be to spend the same amount of time but learning 100 tricks because by the end of a week you'd be terrible at 100 tricks if you learn 100 tricks but you would be amazing at those five pieces of tricks that you learn uh in and did in that one week so I, I and I think what's quite interesting about that, I think it works with with all elements, no matter what in life we're doing. Because so I'm a pianist as well and a trombonist, and what I find on the piano is um, I love the fact that you could you could spend three hours kind of working your way through ten different pieces of music that you like, and at the end of it, you've kind of had fun, but you've not progressed or got better at any of those pieces or you could spend that three hours just hammering down on just one page of one piece of music and by the end of three hours you've nailed it and you can perform that and people will be impressed so i i feel like no matter what skill it is you're developing if if you want to get good at something the only way to get good is to do what we said at the start of this um this chat just take tiny chunks and and work really hard and don't move on until you've nailed that chunk so whether it's uh, goal setting and you you, you just want to you've got a target and you've made these little bite-sized uh, step in, steps on the ladder to achieve it don't don't skip ahead don't dilly dally in lots of different elements just nail one part of that ladder get that done out of the way then move on to the next next step of the ladder and uh, and as all the greatest pianists in the world they they don't just waffle around willy-nilly with no goals or targets they'll they'll focus specifically even if it's just two bars uh, on the first line of a piece of music they'll nail that and then they'll move on to the next bit nail that and uh, and then once they can do the whole piece of music really well they'll play that piece of music a thousand times back to back until they've nailed it it's off by heart and then that's why they're the best in the world no one becomes great from being distracted by lots of different different elements and and I find I I mean I, I'm not saying I'm some sort of guru I'm a, I'm a big prone for wasting time and naturally I I I have to try and convince myself and force myself not to do it but it's very easy for us in our spare time to be busy but very often those things we're busy for with aren't things that help us in any way like I I find quite often find myself uh, tidying up my and changing my studio around and moving things around. So it's different things in the back. And I I kind of enjoy doing that. And it feels like I'm being productive and really I'm not because I'm not progressing in any of my targets by doing that. It's far better to just leap into it and, uh, and, and yeah, put yourself outside your comfort zone and work on the next step of that ladder. Don't be distracted. It's an interesting one as well, isn't it? In In a kind of a creative industry an entertainment industry, you know, I think creative people in general tend to be um, probably more distractible. Probably that you know the, the the whole idea of creativity isn't it is kind of connecting abstract concept concepts and sort of combining them together. And to have those abstract concepts, your brain kind of needs to be bouncing all over the place. Um, and I, you know, we talk about kind of careers in the military. Um, you know, I've done a few of those sort of um, big five personality tests and. I come out relatively high on the kind of creativity industry um, level. And therefore I would say I'm quite distractible, 
But actually, a benefit for me being in the army has been it has given me that structure to say, hey, take all those wafted creative ideas, but let's bloody turn it into a plan. Let's turn it into concrete steps so we can move forward. Um, and, you know, and I, I wonder if that's something you've seen in, in the industry is a lot of kind of like wild creatives who just sort of almost can't tame their their kind of creative mm. beast. Oh, big time. And But I think the most important part of solving that is just being aware and just like like what you said you're aware that you can easily get distracted by other things but lots of people and including myself um, many years ago would just always feel like wow i'm always being productive but i never seem to be getting any of these targets done and it at some point it then hits you or maybe someone tells you that it's because you you're not um your attention's in the wrong place you you you've got to be aware what you're focusing on you get more of and if you're focusing on lots of stuff that isn't towards your target and goal you, you you're working in the wrong direction and and someone something someone told me a while ago which was interesting it's probably a famous saying no doubt is um lots of people will spend a lot of time working hard on their ladder and then they I don't know, they get to the top of it and realize that the ladder's on the wrong wall because they, they didn't, at the start at the start of their journey, they didn't niche down and work out specifically what it is they wanted to do. And then you easily get distracted and you end up on the, all these different places, all these wrong ladders on the wrong wall and, and you're never any closer to your own target. So I think it's always really important to just sit down and do a brainstorm about what specifically you want to do and what you want to achieve. Uh, and it doesn't have to be super goals or anything. It can be anything in life. I, I, I just find... Maybe it is the army training that I I just enjoy knowing that I've got something that I'm always working towards. I like the I like the feeling of knowing I'm growing at all points in in different ways and and but yeah no matter no matter what it is doesn't matter if it's a big goal or a tiny goal I think it's it's useful to know that you're moving in the right direction and not being too distracted by other things going on. Oh no, I know what you mean. There's nothing worse than that kind of feeling of like yeah, I've just sort of bounced around doing menial perhaps tasks for, for a while and um, so what what's going on with the industry then where where is the the magic industry going um i assume it's something that's changed i sort of think back to the past with you know houdini and i can imagine a lot of card tricks and that back in the past and what you see today on on the, on the telly and things is very different where, where what's your sort of predictions for the future of, of how it might evolve and if there's a new style of magician or a new style of trick that's going to land better with the with the population yeah, I think now there's more variety in types of magic than there's ever been. I think back in the day, um, back in kind of Paul Daniels' day, all the magicians tend to be in top hats and, and tailcoats and producing rabbits. And it, it was very much the stage-focused kind of performance where everyone would dress up in an evening outfit to go to a theatre to see that kind of show. There was kind of that, and I guess not long after that, there was... It, added to that was kind of like mind reader phase where it was very similar everyone very suited and booted and and there would be a a specific mind reading act now there's lots more different there's not lots more variety because there's a lot more magicians now but obviously you've got dynamo who uh is super famous for just performing on the streets in jeans and a a jumper and and uh you've got like goff magicians and mind readers who are really interesting and really creative in, in a completely different kind of dark kind of performance which which i find absolutely fascinating you you got comedian comedy comedy magicians who who i admire the interesting thing at, at this moment in time apart from obviously i i was part of a britain's got talent magic special just before christmas just gone uh but apart from that there hasn't really been that much magic on tv in the last year which 
would probably suggest that there's there's room for more magic on TV soon. TV companies tend to go through stages where they love magic and they'll have loads of magic out on the screens and they want everyone wants a magician on their channel. And then they go through times where it kind of fizzles out for a little while. And then once we've had that break, it's easier to get people's excitement going again because there's a new magic show on TV and it hasn't happened for a while. So I think this year will probably be a big year for magic on TV. I think there'll be lots going on. Britain's got talent. There's always great magicians now and they, they always tend to do well, which is, which is great. It, every time a magician's on TV doing well, it helps elevate the entire industry because everyone suddenly gets more bookings because everyone, for example, they get anyone getting married, they, they maybe they'll see a magician on TV and think, yeah, let's get a magician for our wedding. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have thought of that if it, if it hadn't have happened. And, and the beauty of wedding magic is you see a magician at a wedding and then every wedding you go to, there's people similar age who are also going to be getting married soon. And so all the wedding magicians, uh, out in the, in the country do, do very well. It compounds very nicely, uh, the way they perform. But, um, so I, I but I'm doing a tour, so I, I'm, Go on. What's going with you? What, what, what have you got coming up in the next sort of next twelve months, or or even what's your your kind of vision for the future? If you, where, where are you planning on going? Yeah, so I I do uh, I, I do obviously do a lot of corporate events. I'm very lucky. I do a lot of uh, travel to a lot of interesting places. I do a lot in the Middle East, in like um, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, um, and a lot in India, uh, America more recently. Um, and that, so I love traveling. I love doing that. I'm also very lucky that I do cruises quite often as well. And I always take even my girlfriend or my mum, my dad on a cruise. We have a little holiday out of it and we do a show at the end. And that, that's one of my favorite shows because uh, it's free food, free buffet all week and uh, usually in the sun somewhere. So they're the best kind of gigs. But uh, but th- this year, my main focus is uh, I've got a 25 date tour around the UK. Um, so ev- wherever you are in the UK, there should be somewhere where I'm going to be fairly close by. And uh, and that that show is is very audience interactive. It's a family show. It's uh, it's very different from my uh, my army mess night day shows because they were uh, the banter was very different in those kind of shows. You can get away with for the the general public. Uh, but it's a very audience interactive show. It's a lot of fun. We do a bit of mind reading, lots of visual magic, and I, I get people on stage. And it's very feel good though. I, I I never want anyone worried coming to my show thinking oh what if he gets me on stage i only get people on stage who i know will be comfortable on stage and i never embarrass anyone it's not like a dance like a chicken hypnosis show i yeah everyone always i like to think people leave the show in a, in a real high and uh, feel good kind of vibe so i'm looking forward to that uh so if anyone wants to come along I, I, what's quite nice is i do tend to get a lot of military families come along it's always nice at the end of the show to to have a chat with people I'm, i always try and make sure i stay by the exit and and say bye to everyone and um quite often there's families there and their mum or their dad's away on tour somewhere so it's it's kind of nice to have, still have that bond and feel like part of that family the military family um and and have a chat with those, those people so so yeah that's my big plans for this year so if anyone's coming along make sure you message me in advance let me know you're coming and uh yeah that's my that's my big exciting thing are you still doing gigs for for the forces? I know in the past you've done some stuff. Um, I guess the army being probably slightly less deployed than it used to be. Um, maybe maybe not the same opportunity, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I I do do a lot with. Uh, so there's a great organisation called CSE Events. Um, who anyone in the forces would at some point, even if you didn't realise uh, it was them, you would have seen them put on a show for you. They're the people who took. Uh, Ross Kemp uh, and the Page Three Girls to Afghanistan many years ago, and they they put on shows all over. 
So uh, they they keep me busy. I've I've done quite a lot for the um, the army families in the UK in the last kind of six seven months. A lot of the people who guys and girls have been deployed in and around well around the, uh, Ukraine. Obviously, a lot of their deployments have been extended and that kind of stuff. So the families were missing people, so they asked me to go down. So I've done some shows for them. I I've recently been to the Falkland Islands, did some shows for the troops over there. Um, I used to do a lot in Germany with the schools there. Obviously, we're not we're not so many. There's not so many of us in Germany anymore. Uh, I did. I went to Kabul in 2018 to do some shows there, uh, which was actually probably where I did my most interesting show. So I I was over there to do shows for the Brits, really, but um, I did some shows for the Americans and and the uh, Turkish troops and uh aussies which was which was good fun but the the coolest show is uh, i woke up one morning and uh they said look we're getting on a chopper about lunchtime we're, we're going a- across to this other place and uh and that was because it was an unplanned show it was because the the mi6 had found out that that we were there doing shows for people and they wanted us to go over and do a bit of entertainment for their guys so we went over and did this show for mi6 and they'd invited over the like supposedly the cia guys and some navy seals and before you know it, I was in this little makeshift room. We were about to do this show, and they're the toughest, meanest, but smartest-looking people I've ever seen. And yeah, were they wearing like tuxedos like James Bond? Or yeah, no, not quite. They should have been. Yeah, I'm very underdressed. I should have told them, but but they're just like the movies. These uh, these so-called CIA and whatever. I was don't know what they were doing, but they look they looked the business. They all knew about ten different languages, and they were six foot six, and they were huge, terrifying-looking people with big beards. And uh, and actually, they were amazing. They were such a good audience, but I, it was also the most terrifying audience I've ever faced. Um, but yeah, so that's one of my cool stories. I I enjoy that. But I, I also find that the troop shows that I do out and about tend to tend to be the most memorable for me because I, I can almost feel the um, almost feel the gratitude from them because I, I think they. Obviously, they can tell that we've gone out of our way, and I usually take a team of civilians to help me set up and stuff. And uh, we're maybe somewhere, and we've made an effort to go and put on an, a night for them, take their mind off of their what they've been doing for six months or whatever. And you can just feel that they're really grateful and and really welcoming to to have us there as a a distraction from what they're doing. So I I always I'll always carry on those CSE shows uh, for the troops because yeah, I, they're some of the shows that I enjoy the most. Yeah, that's amazing. Um. I'm going to finish and I'm going to break our rule from earlier about breaking rules, uh, breaking progress and goals down to small steps. And I'm going to ask, what's the ultimate goal? What's the, what, what, where, where does the dream for magic sit for you? So this is, it's a good question. And it's something that I'm wrestling with at the minute because I'm kind of at this moment in time, I feel very lucky that I'm in a position that I always thought would take me 20 years to be at. And and what I mean by that is I, I have a great mixture of things that I do. All, all the different performance and, and different types of shows that I do keep me so interested. I really enjoy doing them. And I don't feel like I do too much. I I, I feel like I, I get time to relax and chill and I enjoy everything that I do, which is... And so it's difficult for me to say... I. I mean, I, at the minute, I do a certain amount of TV every year, which is feels like enough. I don't necessarily want to be the next Dynamo and be on TV every five minutes. It doesn't. 
it's, I, I feel like I get enough spotlight on TV to allow me to do what I love to do, which is theater shows around the country. And so my, my main goal is to keep that going every year. I want to be doing at least 25 shows, theater shows every year, plus the corporate shows that I do. Um, so it's, it's a difficult time for me because I'm not entirely sure as to which direction to grow performance wise, because I'm kind of happy with where I am and I feel like I'm doing the right amount, but something that I would love to do this year. And it, I, it is in my plans to really break down and, and make a, a proper goal for this year would be to, to do more on YouTube and documenting more behind the scenes of shows and how I set up and my team and, because uh, I, I think that's kind of interesting. I've never really documented it. And also I like, I love the idea of YouTube because it's very different from TV because you can do whatever you want. And there's a, there's a real limitation. Whenever you do TV magic, whenever I do anything with ITV, they always want the big things and they don't realize that sometimes the really small intimate magic is is the most powerful, but but usually they want a tank to appear and they want something huge and, and this, which, which I think for people watching at home is easier for them to say, oh, it's camera tricks or oh, it's not real, whatever. Um, whereas the beauty of YouTube is you can do whatever you want. So I'm, I'm hoping, so I, in fact, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an agreement with you all now that I'm gonna make a plan, and by the end of the year, I, I'm I'm hoping to have doubled my followers on on YouTube. I don't have a great amount of followers because I haven't done that much uh, on YouTube in the past, but I do have quite a few videos that have gone up recently of different performances I've done. So if you want to follow me and help me uh, towards that goal at Richard Jones Magic, you'll find me on YouTube. And uh, yeah, my plans is to to try and keep people interested and and entertained with magic but also behind the scenes of magic as well on youtube so that's that's my new goal for this year that's you know well we've got the social pressure now of the vast audience of things you find exactly i've put it out there to the world and now i've, <laughs> I've got to force myself to debate. do it right just got to do it yeah and, absolutely uh you know and uh, you know I, I love it behind the scenes also i think it also it must be great for like young magicians as well kind of seeing the gritty side not the gritty side but you know the, perhaps the the slightly less showy side behind it is probably what's going to interest them maybe more than that. I hope so. I mean, I, I would like to think that if Darren Brown did a behind the scenes of his day, turning up to a venue and setting up, I, I would find that absolutely fascinating. So yeah, hopefully people will find it interesting. No, I definitely will. And um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we don't need to sort of uh, rave about all your social tags because, you know, you, you're popular enough that just sticking your name into YouTube or Instagram or things like that will, will come up with, with all of your links. Um, but I'll, I'll of course share them on the show anyway. Um, for anyone who's, who's perhaps not familiar um thank you rich thanks for coming on today I've, I've had a really good really fun time awesome thank you so much for having me I, i'm so pleased that uh, those of you um probably won't know that we had a, a chat before and i was so pleased uh, when andy said that he was going to ask uh not the mundane usual questions that i get because uh i get asked the same questions how did i start magic and, and what made me do bgt what did it feel like winning all these uh standard questions that i've answered 10 million times on youtube interviews and, it, and no doubt are boring the world off so i'm really pleased you you got out some really interesting topics today so i've really enjoyed it thank you so much no that's great no thank you in return and and honestly it would be it'd be great hopefully if you've enjoyed yourself you come back on we've got a few episodes coming up or a few episodes planned where we're going to do a few sort of dives into the psychology thing we're doing a big thing on like you know kind of different personalities and how that sort of people can kind of almost like uh hack their sort of personality trends and, and kind of exploit them a little bit more i think you might have some really interesting thoughts it'd be great to get you on um we've got to convince your brother andy to come on because there's a few of the guys in the office who who are coming on and andy at the moment is resistant so we need to get we need to to find a reason to get awesome him. i'll have a word with him so uh 
maybe we could do a maybe, maybe we get you both on at some point um but thanks everyone for tuning in as i say we've got a load of interesting content coming out in january um so stick with us if you're enjoying the podcast we are still new we are still small so give us a like and give us a share with your friends and family it's the the, the best way to help us grow um and hopefully you're enjoying all, all of our content so far um so thanks again rich for, for coming on today and um we look forward to uh seeing you guys back soon <laughs>